SBI show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivan Scalarsa, and welcome to episode 300 of the SBI show. And it's kind of crazy that we've finally gotten to episode 300. It took a while. It took a long time. Uh, the last 50 took a long, even longer time. Obviously, we had some some breaks, a few hiatuses. But we are here, and I think we have a pretty good episode for you. Uh, we have a couple of guests. We have from ESPN, uh, former U.S. men's national team striker, former Liga Mekis Golden Boot winner, Hercules Gomez joins us. And uh, we talk about a lot with Hercules, and uh, I think it's a, think it's a good interview, good chance to talk about a lot of things. And we all know Hercules is not afraid to, to, to express his opinion, which is why I wanted to get him on and... We actually had him on way back when, when he was a player. We had him on the show uh, when he was at Santos Laguna, uh, I want to say seven years ago, six, seven years ago, a long time ago. Uh, but yeah, he's a friend of the, longtime friend of the show, and we have him on, and we have an even, even older friend of the show, New England Revolution defender Andrew Farrell joins us from Boston, and he was a guest on episode one way back when eight years ago actually before he turned pro it was before the draft before uh i want to say a week before he was drafted uh we had him on and uh I, p- do me a favor please don't go back and try to listen to that because episode one of the sbi show and back then I, it was still it was still called the sbi podcast and uh i switched it to sbi show a couple episodes after we started but yeah the audio wasn't great uh by any means on uh on that episode in those first couple episodes um, it took a while to get the audio, to, you know, things sorted out. And now, obviously, I, I, I want I'd like to think that now for episode, as we're reaching episode 300, the, the audio quality is at a whole nother level now. And, you know, obviously we have the, the we have much better equipment now that we're using. And uh, and hopefully it's a better listening experience for, for everybody as you listen in. Uh, but, yeah, we have Andrew Farrell on. Obviously, uh, now a veteran defender for New England and the revolution obviously had a big year. They, they were really kind of one of the top teams in the league, I want to say, especially at the end of the season with their run in the playoffs. And obviously we had Matt Turner on recently, but we had to, we had to have Andrew Farrell on just because it's kind of that become that tradition. Tradition. He was on episode one and he was on episode 100. We also actually, for those who don't remember or may not know, we had two guests in episode one. We had Andrew Farrell and we had Walker Zimmerman and it's on me. I should have tried harder to get Walker Zimmerman for episode 300. Uh, I do plan to get him on again soon just to catch up with him. He was just in U.S. national team camp uh, for the January camp. He's at Nashville now. And, you know, just listening to that interview with him in episode one eight years ago, it's just uh, it's just interesting now just to see how his career's come along. And it's pretty funny when I listened to episode one, I actually said on that episode that maybe Walker Zimmerman could be part of the U.S. 2018 World Cup team. Uh, little did I know the 2018 World Cup would not be a thing for the U.S. men's national team, but you know, I had high hopes for Walker Zimmerman, obviously, way back when. And he's doing well. He's doing pretty well for himself. Uh, reigning MLS Defender of the Year. Maybe we'll get him on. But we have Andrew Farrell on, and he uh, we have a great time talking to him and catching up with him. Uh, we also have some sound from U.S. men's national team winger Tim Weah. Uh, he's, uh, he's not officially a guest on the show, but he did a, a media roundtable recently, a, a media call with League on. And uh, he had some interesting things to say, and he's obviously someone who is having a good season. He's on the first place team in, in France, uh, Lille, and we know he had the big, uh, he had a year, almost a whole year where he was sidelined with hamstring issues. He had two hamstring injuries back to back. 
that really kind of took him out of the picture. And before that happened, he was actually on the verge of breaking in with the national team. Greg Berhalter was going to call him in. This is 2019 now, I want to say. I remember it was August of 2019. He was going to be part of that call up in September for when, when they played the Mexico and Uruguay. And obviously it didn't happen. He got hurt. But he's back now and he's playing. He's playing great. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll catch up. We'll get some sound bites from him just talking about re- his recovery and, and his thoughts on the current state of the U.S. team with with the golden generation that's coming up and, that he's a part of. Obviously, he's a part of that group. Uh, teammates with a lot of those guys, especially the, the, the players from that U.S. under 20 team from 2019 with the likes of Sergio Dest and Chris Richards, Sebastian Soto, Richie Ledesma, Alex Mendez, Mark McKenzie. A uh, very good group of players, and uh, obviously Wea was a big part of that that team uh, that made it to the Under Twenty World Cup quarterfinals. So we'll ha- we'll have that also as part of the show. But starting out, we'll start off with Americans abroad as we always as we always do. Just some Americans abroad uh, conversation to start off with. And first things first, Brendan Aronson. How about Brendan Aronson scores his first goal for Red Bull Salzburg, a beauty. An absolute golazo, and he does it against Eric Palmer Brown and uh, Austria Vienna in a in a big win for Salzburg. And it, it's just the confidence you see in Brendan Aronson. It's just it's great to see, and, uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing how his his time with Jesse Marsh kind of helps his game. And obviously, you know, look, he played for Jim Curtin, and, and Jim Curtin helped bring the best out of him and helped give him the opportunity. But you know, now that he's with Jesse Marsh, and you know, maybe he can learn some different things there, and just obviously the experience of playing in Europe is going to help kind of, you know, sharpen up his game. And, and we'll see how that translates come March, if and when he's called into the March uh, friendlies for the U.S. national team. They're going to have a pair of friendlies in Europe. We know one of them already. Northern Ireland is one of the friendlies. We don't know the second opponent yet. They're still working on that. Obviously, it's a difficult uh, situation with it, with the pandemic and, and the, the, the various uh, quarantines and all the guidelines that different countries and around the world are, are dealing with. And I mean, now you're seeing situations even say with like the Champions League or European competitions that they can't play these games uh, where they would like to play them because of the different restrictions. And, and you're already seeing that where, you know, certain teams can't host their Champions League matches because the, the you know, the, the opponent would have to quarantine and, and all this and that. So it's getting it's getting very complicated. It's like it's navigating a, a minefield with all the all the different regulations and issues you got to deal with. So it's not an easy process for the U.S. U.S. soccer to get that second opponent. They're going to get somebody. Uh, I don't know who they're going to get, but they, they will have a second friendly uh, knock on wood, they get that worked out, but we don't know yet who that's going to be. Whoever it is, hopefully Brendan Aronson is a part of that that part of that friendly and those and those friendlies. In other Americans abroad uh, news, uh, this week's Zach Steffen and Manchester City have moved on in the FA Cup, and they defeated a pair of Americans. Jordan Morris, Paul Ariola, and Swansea City. And look, Man City, you expect them to win. Zach Steffen undefeated as a starter still. But it, the, on the bright side for the Swansea contingent, Paul Ariola makes his debut. Jordan Morris made his first start. It, it, was, it was obviously a quiet start for him. Tough opponent. We know about Man City's defense and how strong they've been over the last couple of months. But Paul Ariola comes off the bench and has a hand in helping Swansea score a goal. And you love to see that kind of instant impact, especially in his debut. Hopefully that leads to more opportunities for Ariola. Of course, it spoiled Zach Steffen's shutout, but I don't think Steffen was too upset. Uh, it was pretty cool after the match to see Steffen and Ariola kind of chopping it up. Uh, and I said on Twitter, and you know, I really, <laughs> you know, obviously it's a selfish request, but it, it, in an ideal world, every single broadcast of a soccer match involving American players would show when the American players on opposite sides 
meet up after the match. And it happens, I want to say, 90% of the time, 95% of the time, the Americans will find each other, even if they don't know each other um, beforehand. But, they, they, you know, when you know you're American and you, I mean, you're American and you know there's an American on the other team, you're going to go say, what's up? It's just how it is, especially if it's somebody that you know is in the conversation for the national team, is someone who you could eventually be teammates with. Why would you not want to say what's up to him? So obviously that's cool to see. Ariola, obviously, and Stefan, they know each other. They've they've been teammates many times before. So that, that you know, that wasn't that much of a surprise. A little bit of a surprise was Chelsea against Barnsley, uh, Christian Pulisic against Daryl DK, who, uh, who came on and made his debut for Barnsley. And I got to say, it was a little weird seeing Daryl, even though he's only been in MLS for a year, it was still a little weird to see him in red, right? He was wearing red. Obviously, he didn't wear red in Virginia. Uh, he didn't wear red. <laughs> he doesn't wear red in Orlando City. But, you know, he, he showed some promise in his, in his first appearance. But it was cool that after the match, apparently, Pulisic... Uh, sought out DK and they had a moment, they had, they had a conversation and obviously they haven't, as far as I know, they haven't been teammates before, at least not as far as national teams concerned. I don't know if, uh, you know, I don't, if I want to say Pulisic is older, at least a year older. So I don't know if they were teammates at any point before that, or maybe it's just Pulisic doing his thing as a, you know, a big player in the U.S. setup going and seeking out a guy who he absolutely could end up being teammates with uh, on the senior national team. Daryl DK uh, has a very bright future as a striker prospect in the U.S. pipeline. He he hasn't committed yet in terms of being cap tied to the United States or kind of, you know, swearing his allegiance and saying, look, I'm playing for the United States going forward. That's it. Uh, we haven't heard that yet. But obviously, if you're Christian Pulisic, you know, there's this big, talented, young striker. You're going to go say what's up to him. Right. So uh, good, good job by Pulisic uh, to kind of do that, do his part, hopefully, to, to maybe convince DK, Daryl DK, to play for the U.S., although I, I'd say I, I feel like he's going to play for the United States. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. But still, Chelsea won. Pulisic, not the greatest performance from him. It was a little quiet performance, but again, his first start under Tuchel, Thomas Tuchel, and obviously there's people are kind of freaking out, like, wait, what's going on here? They're supposed to love each other. I thought Tuchel, he would be Tuchel's main man, and he'd play every game and start every match, and obviously there's been some issues there, whether it was a full, you know, fact that he wasn't healthy. There was some mystery surrounding his absence from a recent match, uh, which he apparently missed for personal slash family issues. Uh, No one really elaborated on that. And now he finally makes a start in the FA Cup and he has a quiet performance, which, look, you know, it's 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 been a few games now he hadn't played or hadn't played much. And so, you know, to get a start, I don't think anyone should start pressing the panic button yet. But obviously, if you're Pulisic, you know, the competition is fierce for minutes. Uh, and you know, look, Tuchel, as much as you have a history with Thomas Tuchel, he is not going to play favorites. He, he needs to win. He wasn't hired. They didn't fire Frank Lampard so you guys could buddy it up. So we'll see. We'll see if Pulisic can kind of find his groove under Tuchel. Obviously, Chelsea is finding a good groove uh, under under Tuchel in terms of, especially defensively. But uh, but we'll see. And as far as DK goes, obviously, good for him to get on the field and, uh, and kind of start, get the ball rolling on his lone spell. Uh, great opportunity for him to show what he can do. And I think those are kind of the key... In terms of results during the week, the, those were the ones that stood out. Uh, and in other Americans abroad news, Matthew Hoppe has been named the Bundesliga Player of the Month for January. Not a total surprise there, obviously, with the five goals that he scored uh, for Schalke, scored in three straight matches. He's obviously cooled off a bit since then, but still, he's really emerged as a as a as kind of a good storyline heading into the new, to the new year. And obviously, U.S. fans are already excited about him as a potential striker prospect. You know, he's still young. He still has has 
uh, time to to develop and room to grow. But it's great to see him already kind of getting that exposure. He did a, a media call recently where, you know, he, he obviously he spoke to a bunch of media. So you started to see all the stories come out off of that interview, uh, you know, five different stories from the same interview, various outlets. But he's uh, he's getting that exposure. Now he's got to do something with it. You know, he's got to he's got to cont- try to continue to keep the ball rolling. He's obviously a talented young striker, but people need to relax in terms of already wanting to kind of propel him to the top of the depth chart for the U.S. men's national team at striker. Like, like I think I've said it before. I don't want to kind of repeat myself, but look, right now, you know, a healthy Josie Altador is number one, but of course him staying healthy, that's always a tricky thing. But then you have Josh Sargent, who for me, I think has continued to develop continue you know continue to earn starts for Werder Bremen and while he isn't lighting it up in terms of total goals production in terms of goal total he's definitely improving and he's definitely sharpening as a as a player in terms of his all-around game in terms of his hold-up play in terms of his pressing his passing I mean he's just gaining confidence with the minutes that he's getting now obviously when you don't score goals it can it can test your confidence it can test your you know your metal in terms of because as, as a striker you need goals at some at some point it's all well and good if your team keeps winning it's all well and good if you keep content you know contributing in all those other areas but the goal you need goals eventually and that's kind of what he's still working on of course he had the beautiful goal recently i want to say a week ago that kind of reminded people hey listen i can score and it, it was great to see there but he's still for me if you're asking me okay there's a game next week it's a you know conquer calf emergency qualifier next week who you got as your striker I'm going to start Josh Sargent 10 times out of 10. No offense to Matthew Hoppy, but he's young. He's young. He's raw. Uh, and I, and now, that, now that the spotlight is on him, it's interesting because, I mean, I, I've watched a few games now. I watched him against Wolfsburg uh, and watched his most recent match. And, you know, it's not easy. It's not going to be easy for him. Obviously, it's, it's tough enough being on a really bad team and, you you know the service isn't always going to be there there's going to be those games when you're just just sitting there kind of you know twiddling your thumbs because the ball doesn't get to you and he's he's going to deal with that and he's already starting to deal with that um but people just could chill out a little bit chill out he's a good talent just let him continue to develop and i tell you what right now Schalke looks like they're going to get relegated right and as as disappointing as that'll be and as tough as that'll be for uh matthew hoppy it, it might not be the the worst thing in the world if come next season and he's been signed for next season already he signed a new contract it might not be the worst thing in the world if next season he is kind of there you know once they're if they are relegated that he's he gets that opportunity to be a consistent continue to be a consistent starter and play a season in the set, in the two Bundesliga and really kind of establish himself as a consistent goal scorer. Of course, you know, it would be better if Schalke didn't get relegated, but it's not looking good right now. It's not looking good. They're not getting the results they need and they're holding on. To, they're they're going to hold on to Hoppy no matter what, right? If they get relegated. Uh but we'll see. We'll see what happens with them and uh it'll if he can get a few more goals and continue to show that, you know what, that wasn't a blip. That's really what he can do. If he if he shows that, then yes, absolutely, he he will get his opportunities with the U.S. men's national team. Greg Berhalter's already said it; he's on his radar. But he Berhalter has also said similar in the standpoint that look, he's young, he needs to develop, and he will get. A, if he keeps doing that, he will get his opportunity. That's not a question, and and, and you know it's it's a no brainer. Greg Berhalter will call him in if he continues to produce and continues to develop. So we'll see. I mean, I, it's encouraging, though. Another young striker in the pipeline. And speaking of Americans abroad, uh, we, we're we lucky enough to be part of a uh, conference call with U.S. men's national team winger 
Timothy Weah, who is obviously having a very good season in France with Lille. He's overcome the the injuries that that really sidelined him for the better part of a year, and uh, so it was great. It was a great chance to kind of listen to him talk about you know where he is right now and how things are going, and him overcoming what was obviously a difficult time for him with the injuries. It was a tough year. My first, my first real injury that I've ever had, and you know, um, being that it was a season where we we wanted to do something with that season last year, um, you know. I wanted to get back as quick as possible to try to help the team, but unfortunately that didn't go my way. And I got, you know, I re-injured and got the same injury, relapsed on the same thing. And then, you know, we decided to do surgery and take the time off to really, you know, get back uh, to full fitness and, you know, get to that level I was when I was playing at PSG. And, you know, we got there thanks to the help of uh, one of the best trainers I had. His name is Patrick in New York. He, he works for HSS, you know, and from the national team, they work with me to get back. And, you know, I'm, I'm feeling great now. I'm back with full fitness. You know, I keep in contact with uh, with Coach Greg, of course. Um, whenever I score, wherever I do something great, you know, he, he he's always there texting me and encouraging me. So, um, you know, as a as a player, you know, we are ambition. We are ambitious to 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 to, to be with the national team all the time. So hopefully, uh, with the performances that I've been having and you know, hopefully I keep on doing what I'm doing and hopefully I can, you know, get a little spot on the national team. And then Wei obviously was asked about the, the current state of the U.S. men's national team with that generation of extremely talented young players, a generation that he is clearly a part of and players that he knows very well, uh, players that he'll be expected to join force, forces with to help take the U.S. men's national team program to a new level. You know, it's great. Um, everyone's so, so happy for each other. You know, seeing Christian at Chelsea, Serge at Barca, Gio, he's young, doing his thing, um, Weston, Tyler, all those guys. Um, you know, it's it's, it's amazing to see because uh, myself, I grew up with Serge and, and Tyler. You know, we were on the same team, me and Tyler. Tyler and I playing on the same team with Red Bulls. And, you know, coming from MLS to, 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 to seeing us striving in Europe is, is amazing. And, you know, when we get together, it's like it's, it's just it's just a great camp. We have fun. We enjoy each other's company. And, you know, um, I feel like uh, eventually as we continue to gel, as we continue to play together, the football is going to be amazing. And as everyone does their thing in their in their clubs, you know, we're going to be playing. Now we'll transition from the Americans abroad conversation into uh, U.S. men's national team and our first guest. Uh, Hercules Gomez. Now, obviously, he counts as a U.S. men's national team alumnus, as an Americans abroad alumnus. For those of you who don't remember, when he played in Mexico, he was the, you know, CONCACAF MLS killer for a good stretch there, where, you know, he really put some goals on quite a few teams, uh, quite a few MLS teams in CONCACAF before he eventually came back to MLS. And he played, obviously, uh, with with the Seattle Sounders, won an MLS Cup with the Sounders. He's won, uh, I think he won three MLS Cups in his career. He won a couple with the Galaxy early on in his career, and then obviously he won with Seattle. So he knows what it's about. Uh, he knows what it's about to lift the trophy. And, uh, you know, he's obviously got great insight in terms of the men's national team, in terms of the U.S.-Mexico rivalry. He's right on the front lines of that. As a as a pundit now, he's obviously works for, he works for ESPN. He does analysis. Uh, he does, obviously, game commentary, and he has his own show on ESPN. And, he, and, and for those who don't listen or who aren't bilingual and don't listen to much Spanish television, 
Hercules does a great job on the 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 shows, the Mexican shows, the ESPN Mexican shows where where they have all the the debates and they have the the Mexican pundits going on and on about Liga Mekis. And he's in there and he's kind of fighting the fight for MLS. I mean, he's, you know, he's not a homer really, but he definitely will will stand up and and kind of call out the BS that will come from some Mexican journalists when it comes to things like MLS and US Men's National Team and Hercules definitely holds his own on that front and uh that's why I think it's it's great to kind of get his perspective on things and why I wanted to get him on for episode 300. And now joining us from Los Angeles, we have U- former US Men's National Team striker, World Cup veteran and now television star Hercules Gomez. Hercules, how you doing today? I don't think I'm doing well. I don't think I've ever been Described or introduced as a TV star. That's a for, I'll take that. Thank you. Hey, you're on TV, so you're automatically a TV star. That's how it works. I don't know if you know. I'm sure. Right. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure your family calls you that. So that's how you know. If, yeah. If yeah. I'm on TV for when they ten call. seconds, they they say you know, oh, he's a TV, he's on TV all the time. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, man. So so obviously there, there's so much going on. I'm not going to ask you about the CBA yet because that's so boring. But we'll talk about the U.S. Men's National Team first. Um, they just announced that they're going to play Northern Ireland. So many. The, the, this new generation is so so exciting uh, with all these players. When you look at this generation, what do you what do you like the most about this group of players? When you see see these guys, and, and who's your favorite of these prospects of these younger players? The thing I like most about this group has to be the youth, um, the vibrant energy, the hope that comes with it. Because I mean, we needed a little bit of hope after that last qualification round, right? Everything was dire. Everybody was was very tense. We wanted to blow everything up. Uh, and then all of a sudden comes these kids and these kids are dropping bombs. They're, they're playing on teams like Leipzig, like Barcelona, like Man City, uh, Dortmund, you know, Chelsea. Uh, they're rubbing elbows with the world's elite. Uh, Juventus, I haven't even gotten into Weston McKinney and how he shut my mouth up. I mean, it, 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 it's, <laughs> it's unreal. Right. They're surpassing expectations. Um, the the excitement surrounding these these kids, and I shouldn't even call them kids, uh, but they are. That's what they seem like to me. They're, they they don't realize where they are in a sense of what they've been dropped into. Uh, playing with the U.S. men's national team and just any national team, I, I would say in this region was very difficult to do. I mean, back in the day to earn a call up, and I'm not talking about with all due respect to 94 crowd because those guys were a residency program and, and lived together for like two years and had something like 50 caps in like two years. It's something ridiculous. But you got to a point where you got called up consistently. Uh, you were of a select group. Um, it, it wasn't an easy feat. And by default, we've had to give some of these kids those opportunities. And it's not like, hey, you get a January camp. Hey, you get some time here and there. It's like, no, 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 no. You're... You're thrown into the fire, uh, baptism by fire. Uh, let's see what you're made of. And some of these kids have not only surpassed, but have taken the bull by the horns and have made this team their own. I mean, we can't talk about the Michael Bradleys and the Josie Outdoors and, and the Jeff Camerons of the world that, that old guarding for. It's about, okay, who's going to replace these kids? Who's going to replace, right. you know, the, the future? And uh, that's what I'm most excited about is how they've taken this opportunity and ran with it. It's it's a fearless group. I feel like that's what I've, I've thought. I mean, I remember being down at the CONCACAF Under-20 Championships uh, when they when they won it with a lot of these guys. Serginio Dest was on that team, Chris Richards. 
And there's kind of a fearlessness in this age group uh, where in the past I didn't see that from younger, younger Americans, like a, the 18 yeah. to 21 year olds. Like, they, you know, they might have talent, but the fearlessness, the, 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 the way the, just being able to attack any any opportunity. This group has that. That That's the, for me the biggest difference. Maybe. No doubt. No doubt. No doubt. I, uh, when you talk about you ask me who what player um, has impressed me, I'm going to give you two players and they couldn't be further or or on opposite ends of the spectrum both personality wise both you know game wise everything um one is tyler adams uh, who everybody knows right. you know was a red bull went to leipzig and the other is weston mckinney when when you talk about tyler adams you talk about a, for such a young age how composed mature um he is he just screams future you know u.s men's national team captain it's written all over him he oozes that confidence he oozes you know, that ability to be feel comfortable in any setting, uh, very quick with the word, knows what to say, very respected within the group, uh, disciplined. He's a um, pit bull a on tactician. the field, too. He's yeah, a- pit, but, not only, but not only is he a pit bull, he's, he's a disciplined pit bull. He, he doesn't go off and just chase. He doesn't go off and do things that are not in the game plan. He's another coach on the field, and people are going to hate me for saying this, but he's of that Bob Bradley, you know, tree. Um, you look at the players who Bob Bradley is, has had throughout his career who have turned into coaches, whether it's Chris Armis, Jesse Marsh, Sorber, you know, even his own son, Michael Bradley, who's, who's certainly going to be a coach. Uh, Jim Curtin, he's of that realm. He's of that vein. Uh, so he's a very cerebral player, and he's very good. Like, he just covers so much ground tactically. He's, he's, he's very good. Um, technically, you know, he, he's, he's very conditioned within any type of setting. Uh, he, he's just made for this. So I wish we can keep him healthy because he'd be a big part. And then the other side of that is Weston McKinney. Now, Weston McKinney, I used to liken him to a Jermaine Jones type. Mm-hmm. Like you can't, you can't tell him stay within these parameters. You got to let him go hunt. You got to let him go chase. You have to let him be. You know, kind of go wild and do his thing. And, and he's going to crash the box and he's going to get you gold. He's going to be box to box and his energy is going to be contagious. His attitude so vibrant and he's fun. You know, off the field, everybody loves him. Uh, but he's not that anymore. You know, I didn't right. think he was going to be so successful going to Juventus and in that midfield, and especially not knowing the type of manager Andrea Pirlo would be, whether he would be, you know, uh, free-flowing football within the midfield, more vision and an offensive uh, chances created like he was as a player, or kind of this very stingy, you know, we will defend first and, and go off the spaces of the you know, opponent affords us that he is now type of manager and he has been just so good for them. But it's not because of what I mentioned of how wild he can be and how contagious he can be with his energy. It's because he's so disciplined and he's learned how to play within a system. And listen, anytime you're playing with guys like Cuadrado, when you're playing guys uh, like Cristiano, when you're playing guys like Morata, Vivala, that's going to rub off on you. You're going to let those guys do their thing. You have to be disciplined. You have to be tactic, uh, tactical, tactically mindful uh, he's been all that, but he's been surprising in his ability to change who he is, to adapt to it. And uh, to me, the two most impressive men by far. Yeah, no, and, and the, both both those uh, players are players that I had a chance to kind of uh, get to know when they were younger, and even and when they even when they were younger, you could kind of tell there was something about them. As far as McKinney goes, what stood out to me, and I had a chance to to sit down with him when he got his first uh, national team call up. I think it was his first year and he already had a confidence to him, just kind of an infectious confidence. And you mentioned Jermaine Jones. And I, I, I think for me, the, 
when you compare those two, like Jermaine Jones had a confidence, but by, later in his career, he already had the ego to go with it, right? He had kind of that, like, right. I'm the, uh, you know, I'm the, yeah. I'm the, I'm the ish kind of thing. And then, and Weston is confident. He believes in himself, but he, it, it's more of an infectious, uh, personality thing and not i'm the man already so he doesn't have that Absolutely. but he but but he and that's why he's i think that's why he teammates just just gravitate toward him no matter what level the team is because he has that infectious personality and that confidence but not the ego and i think that if he can't if he walked into that juventus locker room with any ego they would have shut him down real quick but uh, it, it's check that ego at the door Absolutely. And, and and listen when i said jermaine jones i meant in the way Tactically, he was on the field where I didn't feel he was disciplined. I didn't feel what McKinney was disciplined, or you could tie him well, down yeah, to a you certain goal. I'll tell you what, the, for me, yeah, I see what you're saying there. The difference was Weston. Uh, Greg Berhalter kind of gave him that freedom. He kind of wanted him to like just do it, do whatever comes to mind. Whereas Jermaine Jones kind of was like, "Look, I'm Jermaine Jones. I'm going forward. <laughs> I, I, forget this balance in the midfield. I'm attacking. You deal with the rest." Like so, that's yeah. But no, but definitely, uh, it, it's great to see McKinney, like you said, show that he can kind of adapt to any role you need him. If you need him attack to attack a little more, he can do that. If you need him to yeah. sit back, destroy, he can do that too. So, and, that, and, and by the way, we're comparing him to Jermaine Jones, who was a very good player, absolutely. very good player at the club level, very good player at the national team level for all his, for all the people's maybe perspectives of, of his deficiencies. He was a very, very good player. Right. Absolutely. And it's easy to, it's easy to forget because people always kind of m- maybe dwell on toward the very end, but listen, 2014 World right. Cup, he was one of the best players on the U S and if you without he, a doubt, it, that goal with Portugal was insane. And if he was on the 2010 team, you know, who knows? Who knows what? I mean, because I think he was, you know, he, I don't know if he You're was. You're right, he because that 2010 team, that 2010 team, I think, I don't know if he was eligible. I do remember he was injured. Um, but that 2010 team, if you looked at who played in the midfield, it was kind of a rotating, you know, kind of scenario where it was Ricardo Clark, it was Jose Torres, it was Marisa Du. Nobody really staked their claim uh, alongside Michael Bradley. So, you know, what could have been uh, for sure? Now, as far as the national team goes, I know one of the topics you definitely like to touch on or have in the past, and and one obviously that I've I've touched on as well is being able to kind of draw more on the on the Latino community and the Latino players, and and kind of embracing that that kind of branch of the tree. And obviously, there you know everything that went down with Jonathan Gonzalez not becoming part of the team and raising questions about is the, is the program doing enough in that regard. Um, but now you're seeing you know with the Sebastian Sotos, Richie Ledesmas, you know whether it's a whether Greg Berhalter and U.S. Soccer isn't is really going after this, or it's just the players kind of forcing it. Where where do you see that part of things? Do you see U.S. Soccer doing better? Do you see the men's national team doing a better job, or is it still something that needs to be improved? It's still a very underserved community, no doubt. Um, but Greg Berhalter is changing that. Um, you can see his speaking of dual nationals. He is his trying to convince players that this is a place where they can grow, where they can flourish, where they can, you know, be free to be who they are and have an opportunity. And the team is there. And I think players are gravitating towards that. Many will say, yeah, but the Jonathan Gonzalez of the world didn't translate, you know, didn't transpire. That's not the point. You know, people are forgetting that U.S. soccer lied to you. U.S. soccer, a scout for U.S. soccer, Thomas Rongen, literally said he knocked on his door, (laughs) went to his house more than once, a couple times was there hanging out with the family. His father called me and said, I don't know who this man is. He's never been in my house. People <laughs> right. seem to think that's no big deal. U.S. soccer at the time was like, well, that's Thomas. Like, that's an excuse. 
you know, his, his vibrant off the wall personality should be an excuse for us dropping the ball here. Uh, and the countless of other things that you can Google uh, within U.S. soccer's youth programs and, and the, uh, I guess, falling out they've had with the Latino community. Um, they're doing better. Uh, Santiago Munoz just scored a goal against America. He's a prominent U-20 player for the Mexican national team, born in El Paso. Uh, he's been in contact with U.S. soccer. You know, Ulysses Lainez, uh, Richie Ledesma, all these different players. And it's not just the Latino community, but dual nationals in general. You have to do your best, you know, Yanis Musa, he's a dual national. You have to do your best to get the best players you can. Um, do whatever you can, uh, because being American isn't isn't a mold, isn't a fit. You know, different Americans uh, feel American, are American for different reasons. So you shouldn't limit that. Right. But when it comes to the Latino community, it's under it's under well it's underserved and underrepresented, which I think is the biggest issue here. Um, Jose Torres, I think, is playing somewhere in the USL. Uh, somewhere in Colorado, Colorado Springs, he would be an asset, you know, for U.S. soccer, some capacity recruitment. Um, you know, DeMarcus Beasley, who's not Latino, spent time in Puebla. His daughter is Latina. His, you know, uh, the mother of his child is, is from Puebla. Like, he would be a great uh, asset to have for U.S. soccer, how you can reach these different types of, of communities. You know, it, it blows my mind how I represented my country with pride in a World Cup. I played against Mexico. In important games, I've played with MLS clubs, with Liga MX clubs. I grew up in Southern uh, California, Southern Nevada. I, I, I've seen it, you know, football at a grassroots level. I've never once received a phone call. I'm like, and by the way, I don't have all the answers. Right. I don't have them. But neither did U.S. soccer. And the more you can cast that net, the wider you can cast that net, the better. I've never received a phone call. Right. What do you think? You Where can we be, get better? Should, what? You should be. They should have you helping out with the recruiting pitch. I mean, come on. Well, well, you know, you know how you know how bad it is, guys, and it's blowing my mind. I've never received this phone call from U.S. Soccer. I've received it from the Mexican Federation. Mm, that's interesting. That's to me what hurts. The Mexican Federation felt comfortable enough to reach out to me and ask how they can recruit players in the United States for Mexican football for the Mexican Federation. <laughs> come on, that's and they're cool. like, listen, we know. They literally said, we know that you are pro-U.S. soccer. You know what I told them? I am pro for these kids having a chance to get out. Right. I am pro for these kids having a chance to better their situation, right. whatever it may be. If they choose the U.S., if they choose Mexico, if they choose Honduras, whatever it may be, it's a very intimate choice, a very personal choice. But whatever helps these kids make the best decision, I am pro that. And that, to me, blows my mind. You have players who have played with you, have people right. at all types of different levels that you can – Seek resource from, and you don't. Right. Well, U.S. I mean, they, U.S. Soccer should definitely have you have you out there because you'd be the perfect guy right now to call Santiago Munoz. I mean, you played at Santos Laguna, you played in the World Cup. I mean, I'm not saying you have to be uh, Jurgen Klinsmann and show up at his door with a jersey. Which, by the way, that that whole Christian Pulisic jer- jersey story. I mean, we need to put that one to bed already. But uh, you know, they should have <laughs> they should have pl- true story. Said, the true story. I mean, come on, he was playing for the U.S. The so jersey did not make change a thing. Come on, let's be real. Hey. Let's be real. Don't say it didn't change the thing. It didn't change you know? it. Oh, look, I know you're going to sell. Talk to the manager. Talk to Jesse Biggs. I know Jesse. it happened. I'm just saying Christian Chris, nope. look, Christian Pulisic that, was not ready to, to play Jesse for Croatia. And ask him if he thinks it made a difference. That's all I'm saying. I, it wasn't as cut and dry. And that's where I think we get, we get. I don't want to say arrogant with, but we get all of a sudden comfortable with. Right. You know, no, I, I, hear I just I just feel like Jurgen Klinsmann has gotten so much mileage out of that that story, and it's it's I feel like it's a convenient story. I mean, you know, 
I'm not oh, s- it's convenient, yeah. But why is it convenient? Because look what's happening. Look what's happening. He's no, but you know, all right. So Christian Pulisic played. At, he played at every. He was he ingrained American. He's you know he he was never going to play for any other country. I'm telling you, I just don't I don't see it. But I didn't he, think Giuseppe Rossi would play for Italy. No, but I, there he went. What? Well, first of all, I've known <laughs> I've known Giuseppe Rossi since he was eight years old. I I covered his uh, his father was a great a uh, great high school coach in yeah. New Jersey, and he yeah. was. I actually learned a lot about soccer from his father. Funny that you mentioned him, and I remember Giuseppe Rossi as an eight year old playing training with like the best high school team in New Jersey. And like you knew then, but you always like, I always knew he would probably play for Italy because, and one of the reasons was when he grew up, there was no re- like MLS wasn't really kind of a thing. Right. That his we're fa- the same. I think, I believe we're the same. What, what year is he? But we're roughly the same. And I remember the first reserve league was 2005 in major league soccer. And you know who, you know who I played against in that reserve league guys like Wanda, Chris Wanda, Lyle. That's, right, right. that's, that's how far back you got to go for the first, like, of, a, of an academy. System. Oh, I know. Yeah, no, but yeah, but I, I, it's interesting, man. But I would say, as much as you know, I don't buy that Jersey story. I do buy the idea that if if someone like you uh, had a nice conversation with Santiago Munoz, it would help the process. And U.S. Soccer definitely needs to get. Uh, it sounds like you're ready to go. It sounds like you're just waiting for the call. No, you know, what? I don't want a job anywhere. But no, I don't mean I don't even a job. It but a job. I, you know. Just like I, I'm happy doing what I'm doing right unofficial now. Unofficial you know booster, unofficial booster. How about that? Not even a booster. <laughs> do, do you know what I think would be beneficial and people don't realize? They think it's about talking to the kid. They think it's about talking to the player. You got to talk to the family. You have got to convince their family right. that this is a great opportunity. That this is maybe a, a good avenue for their child to take. Because these are immigrant parents coming over from different country who are breaking their backs here, trying to make the most for themselves, and they see a lot of hardship. They have a lot of mistrust. Uh, in, in, in a lot of different areas and you've got to break down those walls and representation matters. It's, it's, it's very different um, coming from a certain source. You know what I mean? Right, With all due sure. respect to Thomas Rangan, I'm sure he was great at his job, but Thomas knocking on the door of a Mexican-American family right, trying right. to convince them is a lot different than Jose Torres saying, listen, I did this, I right. went here, this is what I've seen and having a real conversation with the family. Right. Yeah, no, I I hear you for sure, and um, hopefully, hopefully that that can get better. As far as the whole kind of you know U.S. Men's National Team versus Mexico thing, you're kind of on the front lines in that, especially now with your work. Um, do you get that sense that the folks down in Mexico are fully aware that that this U.S. Men's National Team is is reaching kind of a you know this quote unquote golden generation, and how afraid of it are do you think they are? So. The Federation, I think, realizes it because they're being a lot more aggressive with dual nationals. Um, pundits, I don't think, take it as seriously. They'll, they will point to, you know, the the very good record the Mexican national team has of making it to the second round in World Cup. Right. I believe they're going on eight consecutive. Only only Brazil rivals them. Uh, they're tied with that. They will also point at the CONCACAF Champions League, you know, uh, trophies won by Mexican clubs over the last 20-some-odd years. Right. Um, and how many consecutive uh, finals they've won? Uh, so they they will they will continue to point at those things and 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 kind of brush it off. Fans the same way, but I think there is a growing sense of concern at the amount of players that are jumping abroad, at the amount of players that are getting into good programs, into big teams at such a young age. Because their Mexican counterparts, that's not happening. Now we can name off. 
a bunch of different reasons why that isn't happening. Most importantly is the inflated Mexican market. The internal market is insane. Jurgen Dam, at one point, I think it was 2011, 2012, 2013. I don't recall the year. He, no, it should have been 2013, 14, around there. He went from Pachuca to Tigres for over $10 million. Right. Um, you know, Tigres doesn't have a need to sell him. So when he's probably at the height of his career, uh, he could have gone to a Spanish, you know, team to La Liga. He could have gone into the Bundesliga. He could have gone into a bunch of different teams, but nobody's going to pay that. When Rodolfo Pizarro signs for Inter Miami and the Mexican press is up in arms, the Mexican fan base is up in arms. Why doesn't he go to Europe? It's because they're looking for something like 18, you know, million. And these clubs are like, we're not going to pay that for a player who's 26 years of age. Right. No, no, that's not going to happen. Uh, there are all these different things and the internal market is the biggest factor, but it's very difficult for these players to get abroad. And it's also very difficult for these Mexican players to break into Mexican first club teams and stay in these lineups. Uh, there, there are so many foreigners in, in, in Liga Mekis, and that's really the backbone of this league now is it's the foreign talent that they get brushed aside, they get buried. And that's why you're seeing a drought in these very important positions. These, these players do come up not a whole lot of nines, not a whole lot of you know, you know, creative midfielders, not a whole lot of players who are difference makers. A lot of, a lot of backs, outside backs, a yeah. lot of you know, internal midfielders, supporting cast type of players. But that's really where they're going to struggle. And Juan Carlos Osorio mentioned it, the ex Mexico national team coach, and Tata Martino has mentioned it. You know, these players need to be playing at the highest of levels, and not enough, not enough for the people within the federation. Or I should say, I say the federation because the 18 owners make decisions for the federation not enough of those people uh see enough of a problem to change the business model and, that, and that's one of the biggest for me biggest obvious obvious differences now with mls is that now you see teenagers getting not only a chance to get on the field but you know have starting you know get in the starting lineup get that opportunity to to develop at 18 19 where that was unheard of 10 years ago right or when you even when you came into the league in two, you know in MLS in 2005 you were young and you were 23 so like it just shows the difference Dude, now I was in the 2002 I so I, I played with the the team called the San Diego Gauchos in 2002 and we played an exhibition game against the LA Galaxy uh, we got rocked I think like Matt Reese scored a couple of goals on us. He was playing in the field. Uh, but I scored our goal. I did really well. 19 years old. Ralph Perez and Siggy Schmidt, you know, may he rest in peace, kept an eye on me, brought me in after my season. I signed a contract, and three months later, we're MLS Cup champions. This is 2002. I'm 19 years old. The second youngest guy in the team is Alejandro Moreno, like almost 23 years old. Mm. It just, it was unheard of. It's different. You went to college. You went to the draft. You got out. Your first rookie minutes were at 22, 23 years of age. That's about five, six, seven years too late in the global market. You know, that, it was just unheard of at different times. Now we're seeing kids, I mean, all of a sudden, you know, Chris, or I'm sorry, Giovanni Reyna goes from you know, New York City FC Academy program to being one of the best teenagers in the world for Dortmund. It, it's like everything's just turned on its head. It's changed. No one wants to look back on the quote-unquote lost generation, but it is it is kind of sad when you think back to, those years, 10, 10, 15, 20 years ago, where there were teenagers who just had nowhere to go in terms of minutes yeah. and they had no opportunities. There was no, there just weren't the opportunities. And they just sat and kind of stagnated or, or, or some players had to wait. Uh, you know, it, I it, can give you a few names. I mean, everybody thinks about Freddie do, right? right? Right. What would have been with Freddie do this and that? Well, Guillermo Gonzalez, yeah. you know, what about 
Ned Grabavoy? What about Danny Tatella? What about, you know, the list goes that's on of, of, of really good players, really good names in U17, U20 program. And just kind of, I don't want to say Ned Grabavoy died out because he had a very good MLS career, but players that could have done more in today's time. Right. No, absolutely. And so it's great to see. I mean, like, perfect example for me, Brendan Aronson, right? So when he, when, when Jim Curtin first started giving him regular minutes, right? He he wasn't, the, the, the end product wasn't there. It, it, he wasn't, the goals and assists weren't there. And, and I'll be the first to say, like, I'd watch him and I'm like, he, he, he shows something, but like, how is he starting? Like, I, I actually kind of wondered that, even though he's a Jersey guy, so I'm obviously going to cape for a Jersey guy, but Jim Curtin saw something and he kept giving him the, the minutes. He kept giving him the minutes and what, and that investment ends up paying off because the next year he blows, he breaks out, blows up and becomes the player that, that you want him to become at 19. And that kind of, that kind of move is no coach, no MLS coach would do 10 years ago. And that, and that's, yeah. that's the biggest which difference. Is strange, which is strange. I mean, I agree with you, but it's strange that no coach would do 10 years ago because you, you have a job security that other coaches around the world don't have. You don't have promotion relegation. Nothing's going to happen if you don't make playoffs. By the way, you can make playoffs being one of the worst teams in the league because almost half the teams in the league make playoffs, you know? Right. So it's just like you should have an incentive. And Philly has definitely shown you that their model can work. I mean, they put no stock into the draft. They give up all their picks. They believe in what they're cultivating as a club and i applaud it i I think it's the correct way to go uh it's an unbelievable story because philly's the philly was an expansion team by the way and they're the first ones to really prove this model um i think it's great i have to get to it now i have to talk about the cba um because when i was looking back at your so you need to to see if you can remember now what was your first mls contract it was a developmental right developmental i was making 860 dollars a month uh 2002 Three, two thousand and five. I went to twelve fifty a month, and, and that was the year that, that we won the double. And that's non guaranteed, not non guaranteed, right? But listen to this: I twelve twenty twelve fifty. My contract, senior developmental, the year we won a double. I'm voted team MVP, and they say, "Congrats, we're picking up four option years on your contract. Here's fifty thousand dollars <laughs> for the next four years." That's crazy. That yeah, that that's the kind of thing. That's why, like, I'll be the first to say, I don't, I don't, I don't get upset when I see players kind of trying to force their way out, like we're seeing now with Kaku, like we saw with Kyle Aaron, like we saw with Camilo Sanvezo, where they question these, yes. these, yes. these, uh, you know, these extra unilateral, yeah, options. yeah, yes. unilateral. And it's funny because I just put together, I did a, I put together an all uh, MLS alumni best eleven uh, of current players that developed an MLS and are now playing elsewhere. And the two strikers on the team are, are Kyle Aaron and Camilo Zambezo and they had to do what they had to do. And now they're obviously benefiting because they, they've both done really well since they've left. Did, did Kyle ever win a, a golden boot in major league soccer? He came, I'm sure he came close. Uh, I don't know. I don't think he won, but he had a big, he, he, he had a huge rookie, uh, rookie year. He I'm scored thinking. goals. Yeah, yeah. He scored a ton of goals, but Camilo did. Camilo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. And uh, it, it's just funny some of these some of these moves where, you know, they're like going through the physical, they're doing, they're posing with the photo, and the other team and the team they left is like not uh, the Red Bulls have yet to. Obviously, they're going to fight this out. They're going to have to fight right. it in court, but uh, it's probably going to get messy. But getting back to the CBA, what, what, obviously you're not involved in it. You're not you know in in the process. But when you kind of look at it from what you've seen, I mean, do you are, do you feel like the players? 
have made enough progress here. I, I'm on record as saying, in the, and I said in the last episode, it, it, it's an unfair fight because it's like amateurs showing up at the pro poker table and trying to play poker against pros. The players are always going to lose. The question is how badly and what can they salvage? Yeah, not only that, but let's say the guy who's trying to show you how to play poker has been trying to show players how to play poker for 20-something years and never been successful. So how does Bob Booth, you know, where does Bob Booth stand in this? Why do the players keep, or how do they even vote uh, to, to keep him around? Will they vote to keep him around longer than this? Did the players win is what the people want to know. No, they didn't win. Uh, the owners won. It may have been unfair. They showed up to a, to a gunfight with a knife. It may have been really unfair. It, it, uh, I got to stop. It's funny you said that because Don Garber had his call today, and 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 he start, one of his early comments is because uh, they were asking him about it, and he said, "Well, you know, there's really no we we shouldn't. There's really no winners or losers in this. The game is the winner." And then I thought about that, and I said, "Says the winners that that's exactly what correct. the winners say after something yeah. like that." Sorry, yeah, again. yeah, that's that's to be humble, humble in, in uh, victory kind of kind of victory lap he's taken there in front of everybody, right? It's I don't think anybody could say the players won, um, and let me tell you why. They negotiated a contract in last year, um, February. It didn't get ratified. The pandemic hit. Major League Soccer says, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! Hold on a second. Guess what, guys? <laughs> right. We didn't ratify this contract. We're going to need to go back to the table." Yeah, I think you guys need to be realistic here. Look what happened to the league. It's a pandemic. Uh, you guys are gonna need to take pay cuts, concessions, blah, 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 hundreds of millions of dollars. The players say, okay, we will go back to the table. Force majeure, all this other thing. They go back to the table in what they think is a very good leap of faith, a very good will on their part, only to less than, what, seven, eight months later, the league say, guess what, force majeure, we're going to invoke it. Mm-hmm. Why? Is it that bad you're going to cut everything in half right now? Are you going to cut player salaries today? Well, it's not so much the salaries. We want to save money down the road. Mm-hmm. We want yeah. you to jeopardize future generation of players. But don't worry. We're not going to touch your salary today. Right. You guys are good. You guys are cool. You're getting don't every penny. Don't worry about penny. the next guy. Right. Yeah. I mean, concessions, when all said and done, was uh, between the ballpark, $150, million, I think. They ended up in what this new CBA offer they took getting certain things back that they already had. So it, it just seems like they were being played all along. Yeah, it's, a, it's unfortunate. We are in a pandemic. Yeah, we're in a pandemic, guys. And I understand people lose money. But people who haven't lost money, the people who have made money, are these billionaires off of this pandemic. Right, right, for sure. And, and I, I had uh, Zarek Valentin on um on, on the last show and, and he was obviously he's on the executive committee and I, and I told him, I was like, look, we know you lost, but you, you get what you can get. And and he made a good point that the, when the day comes that, that enough players make real money that they can actually uh, go into a strike and, and, and survive and go and, and be able to strike and not have it devastate them financially. That's when you'll see real progress because in my opinion, it's right. They missed the, in my opinion, they missed the boat in the previous CBA, the year that Orlando city and NYCFC came into the league. That was the oh, year. You mean the, you mean the year that they said there is no money. We are bleeding dry. We have no money. And then the CBA gets done and it's two franchises. Yeah. It's Wells Fargo. It's Audi. It's well, Heineken. Right. Well, within weeks that was the one that no but the thing is that was the one where actually a lot of players sounded like they were ready to go they were ready to fight it and if they if they had actually if there was a strike that year no one wants to strike obviously no one wants to lock out but that would if there was a moment where the union really could have put some real pressure on the on the league it would have been that particular one but they for me i agree with you 
I agree with you, but you've talked to players and you've been in this game a long time. I've spoken to players who were in that CBA negotiation. I've spoken to players from multiple teams, more than a handful of teams, more than five different representation groups of teams that were involved in the CBAs. Every single story I heard was different. That to me oh, is great. There was a lot. Yeah. Someone should write a book down. Yeah. One day, someone should write a book about that whole process because there was a lot that went down behind the scenes. That, Absolutely. But, oh, yeah. But everybody has a different story, a different version, and pointed different fingers at different people. So that's very worrisome for the players. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but uh, but you know what? The good news is when you, and again, you know what? You think about six years down the road. In twenty twenty seven, you're talking a thirteen million dollar salary cap, not counting DP excess. Um, I mean that that's that sounds like the kind of money that can can build teams that can actually beat the teams in Concacaf Champions League. Yeah, that can now MLS yes. can compete with the with the bigger leagues in Europe. That that's the good news. But it's six years. From yeah, now. I don't think people realize. By the way, we shouldn't talk about Europe without talking about Concacaf or beating Concacaf. Like John Garber drove me nuts when he would say we want to strive to be one of the best leagues in the world, and I'm like, you're not the best league in Concacaf, guys. <laughs> right, right. It's you close. Know, though. It's close. It's pretty close. Right. It's getting there. But but the increased money, the increased funds, will bring better talent. And people don't realize. Do you think Mexican soccer is multi-million dollars, billion dollars, whatever you want. Yeah. It it's like can. four teams. Very it's like good four teams. teams. like four great teams. There you go. There's a handful of teams. There's maybe four, five, six teams that you're saying, wow, deep pockets, good players, very good players. But the rest, they're trying to stay afloat. Yep. That's right. That's right. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. we've gone down a rabbit hole. And I, I definitely appreciate the time. I, I know this is probably longer than, than, than we expected. But um, I'm trying to think, before we forget, before I let you go, um, Looking at MLS, looking at the season ahead, now it's going to start April seventeenth. We know that. Um, if you had the early, early pick, if you had, the, and, and again, teams still have moves to make, but who do you like for twenty twenty one? Early, early February prognostication. Who's your pick? If you had to put them, put a bet down. Oh man! Uh, right now, today, it's so difficult because Seattle's lost a player, LAFC's lost a player. You know, Atlanta's a mess. Uh, the Galaxy, what are we going to get? Um, I think the Galaxy is going to be a lot better. I think Greg Vanny is going to make that team immensely better. How Javier Hernandez responds will definitely shape and mold that team. This is such a hard one for me. I think I'd have to go with a team like... So you're not going to say the crew again? Is what they, they added some pieces. Molino and Bradley Wright Phillips. Yeah. I mean, that's... You yeah, know. I, think, I, think, I think you're right. I think the crew would be my... my player right now by by default today today because seattle's got to make announcements on players lafc galaxy etc right. today it's, it is early it's the crew, it is to, early. It's the crew to repeat yeah it's the crew to repeat you're right one thing i did want to give you some credit for um i remember when when inter miami hired diego alonso uh you know the, the it, was, it was pretty widely accepted that look he's a good coach that's a it's a good name and i know you you stood out to me as, as someone who had questions just in terms of how he would fit stylistically was he really what what they right, know, all they right. talked about and then it ended it bore itself out in that the type of t- you know it, it wasn't a good fit so i mean it, it sounds to me like you probably weren't that surprised that it wasn't a good fit no, I wasn't surprised. I was more surprised not at Diego Alonso because I think a lot of it wasn't his fault. Like you can't you can't bring in the zebra and say like, "Hey, by the way, no stripes." You know <laughs> what I mean? Like that's, that's not fair. That's not who he is. Uh, so this is on Jorge Mas. This is on David Beckham. Um, you you promised a proactive, you know, attacking team. You promised flair. You promised stars. You promised 
know, league leader in this and in that. We didn't get any of that. Right. You know, you're, 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 contra, you're, Pichaje Bomba, as they say, your big thing, the big splash was Rodolfo Pizarro, right. who is known in this circle. Right. You know, and he's not even the best Mexican player in this. He's a very talented player, most talented player of his generation, I think, for my money. Yes. But you didn't come off the bat and, and provide that Beckham signing that we've seen. Right. You know, uh, other teams do. You didn't. You didn't provide a competitive team with with youth, with promise. You you kind of just gave the bare minimum, and, and you sold fans, you know, a false promise, and you cashed in on it. And, and now you're hiring your best mate, and you're trying to say that nepotism isn't involved. That he's the best <laughs> right. man for the job. Right, like, right. You're still trying to fool the person. You're still trying to fool your fans, your fan base, and, and you know that's 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 not right. So as long as as long as uh, I'm around, you know doing this uh, i'll remember that and we will hold you to the to the fire and hold you accountable yeah i mean that's the thing like it's one thing it's fine if you thought if you didn't if at the end of the year they didn't think alonzo was a good fit that's fine you can make your change but then to bring in phil neville with no no experience uh, on the men's club level yes he was a player we get it but that that one's gonna you know that i feel like that one could definitely blow up in their faces and uh and you know if if you they're gonna if you waste that early buzz of expansion, I mean you could find yourself really struggling to draw a crowd, especially down there. Obviously now with the pandemic, no there's no crowds anyway. But right, especially when you haven't had a chance to draw a crowd, you know. Right, right. So so we'll, we'll see there. And how and Chicharito, last one for me. Chicharito, obviously he he really really struggled, and the team was obviously didn't help. The team itself was pretty terrible, and I still laugh at the fact that I talked to a handful of Galaxy players before last season, and to a man everything thing was basically thank goodness Zlatan's gone we can be a team again we can be a team Chicharito's a team player it's like good riddance to Zlatan and here we are a year later Zlatan's crushing it and said yeah Galaxy you know fire yep. coach and had a, a nightmare season do, do you see yeah, I, what do you, what'd you think of that whole thing I went down how I thought it'd go down um I, I got absolutely crushed by Galaxy fans. You don't know what you're talking about. You're a pro LAFC supporter. You're an anti-G, all this <laughs> other thing. Because I said that he wouldn't score many goals in that system. And what are you talking about? We got Katype over here. We got Sasha Flesh <laughs> over here. We got Legette right. here. Joe Benny Corona. And I'm like, listen, man, you got a great 77 team. You got a great small-sided team. An open field. You know, when you have to run and you have to take players one and be one, Christian Pavone, he's going to do this. I was like, your team's going to struggle. You're, they're not going to provide the service that's needed. Javier, Javier isn't the type of player that can bring them in and associate and combine in the final third. He is a finisher. And people crushed me all over the place. And at the end of it, I have no problem saying I was right. I was right. <laughs> I love saying I was right. Uh, yes. Uh, you want to know why? Because I was right. Because you sat there and you told me he would do this, he would do that. I told you, yes, they may be a better defensive team because Slatan didn't thrive much for you defensively. But if you don't change the style of play, if you think that you're going to lump balls forward and Javier is going to bring the ball down and bring in players into play and then he's going to beat two, three players, you know, off of his physicality and his ego, his aura, his swagger alone is going to carry you and, you know, get points on the board and points at the end of the season – you're wrong. He's not that type of player. He's a very good player in a very good system, but you don't have that system. Mm-hmm. Now, Greg Vanny, awesome hire. Greg Vanny's going to be a very good player. I would not be surprised if more TFC players followed suit. He's got some very good young pieces that would make sense for the Galaxy. A, a Marky Delgado, who's got Southern California ties, would fit very nicely in that midfield. He's a player that he knows, he trusts. He's a player that's very good. Uh, I'm very surprised he hasn't had more of an impact with Greg Berhalter and the U.S. national team. Um, 
I think this is can be a very competitive Galaxy team, and we need a very competitive Galaxy team. We need LA to be a very good market, LAFC and the Galaxy, because trust me, years to come, I think that's the rivalry that's going to carry this league forward. No, absolutely. You need you need both LA teams to be to be doing well. Uh, and speaking of the Galaxy with Efra Alvarez, uh, people have been waiting for him to be the kind of second coming. And he obviously is still young. Uh, he did get a you know he did get a taste of the U.S. national team set up. He he went to a camp. D- is he still is he still a few years away? Are you not sold on him as someone who with a future? What, what, what's your kind of take on Efra? I love Efra. I love Efra, but Efra is a luxury piece for me. Right. Um, Efra is the type of player that he needs to himself have a, a coming of, of of the terms himself. Like, I look in the mirror, who do I want to be? What type of player do I want to be? How professional can I be? Because all, those are all the questions. It's not his talent. It isn't, can he play? It isn't, can he be an impact player? It's, what kind of Efra are we getting today? How will he train? You know, how will he be mentally? I hear he's a great kid. Uh, I, I, I see his talent. He needs I see to flip that switch. He needs to flip that switch to get that fire to be more than just his skill. He needs the skill and the the work ethic to and kind of that fight. Work which... ethic, tactical discipline, uh, those things come into play because as you get older, as you get higher in level, the difference is minimal. And if one player isn't pulling their weight, that that's just a victory for the other team. And I think that's where he's at right now. He's got to come to terms with that. What type of player he wants to be and take advantage of his opportunities because he's obviously one of the more talented players uh, of his generation in the state. Someone that kind of comes to mind to me when you look at last season and how they evolved is uh, Gianluca Busio as an example of a teenager who was a you know flair player and and not known for his work ethic and I think maybe Peter Verves finally gave him read him the riot act changed him his position a little bit and all of a sudden his game like took off and you really saw a difference there so I think that's kind of what you need Efren Alvarez to kind of go through to finally realize some of that potential. Yeah, I tell you what, a little Peter Ver in your case wouldn't uh, hurt either. I mean, if you <laughs> yes. buy the, if you're drinking, if you're drinking the Kool-Aid on yourself, and Peter comes in, and no, 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 you're not as, you're not as good as you think, and he gives you the business, you're going to change real quick. I still remember the uh, MLS's back uh, game against Philly when Philly put those early goals on them, and Peter Ramiz brought the team over and just went off on them. And Busio was definitely one of the targets of that, and he w- he he was having a bad game. But you saw after that whole thing, Busio's season changed completely. And I, 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 I definitely think part of that was Peter Ramiz finally putting the foot down, like, look, this isn't good enough. If you're ever going to be a player, you got to do better than you've been doing. And and, and we saw the difference. So we'll, we'll see if Vanny yeah. can do that. Different Van- players. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I was going to say, different players respond differently, you know, and, and – if you need to get in the player's face to have him respond, there's no no better person than Peter Vermeer. Who, who was the coach that got that did that? For, was there a coach that 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 lit that fire under you and that got that had that kind of gave you that that come to Jesus moment? Like you gotta, you need to do better and kind of fire you up differently. Is, different di- different coaches lit fires in me differently. You had a coach, um, you had a coach like Siggy, uh, who at the beginning didn't believe in me, and I held a grudge for the longest time. You know, I. I that stayed with me. I, you know, I got to prove him wrong. I got to prove him wrong. You had different coaches like Pedro Caixinha who challenged you to be a certain type of player. Um, this is how you're going to get in the field. This is how you're going to stay on the field. This is how you can be productive. That lit a fire me. Bob Bradley, you know, uh, Jurgen Klinsmann, who a lot of people think he's a big motivator and he's a big, you know, tactic. He's not tactically, you know, inept enough. Uh, Jurgen had this way of making you feel like he had confidence in you. 
you know, and for a guy who wasn't a big star coming out, who wasn't drafted to colleges, who wasn't in the player pool, you know, growing up in youth national teams, who sat Josie Altidore on the bench said, you're my guy, I will ride with you until uh, the wheels fall off, that does something for you, and you want to, you know, keep it going. So there are different ways of motivating uh, a player, and, and Jurgen found a special way with me. Right, right. And so it's safe to say, Her- Coach Hercules, that's not going to be a thing ever. You, 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 the TV stuff Never. is going pretty well for you. So, you, you know, you. I I was offered uh, to coach the Las Vegas Lights when they came oh, um, yeah, into nice. the fold. And I respectfully told the owner that it wasn't my type of deal. Right. I do maybe one day see uh, sports management um, in the in the picture. It's always something that's interesting to me. It's what I wanted to do before TV. I was talking to Chris Henderson while I was still a player at Santos about maybe shadowing him with the Sounders, getting a feel for his job. He, he's been instrumental uh, in me going to Seattle and, and everything that's come afterwards. The people of Seattle have been unbelievably generous with, with their time with me. Uh, maybe something like that down the road. Uh, but I like this TV thing. Uh, for the moment, this is what I want to do. It keeps me in one place. I'm in L.A. I'm with my family. It's growing. I, I, I don't want the unpredictability of being a coach to come Absolutely. to play. Absolutely. <laughs> you want to be able to buy and not rent, basically, is what you're saying? So, yeah, uh, I want to be able to stay in one place. <laughs> right. Now, Las Ve- you mentioned Las Vegas. Obviously, you're, you're a Las Vegas boy. Las Vegas has been mentioned about MLS expansion. Do, do, would you Would you like – do you think an MLS team can work in Vegas? Yes, absolutely. The Raiders, the Aces, uh, there's a baseball stadium they're making in Henderson. They have a racetrack, you know, NASCAR's there. Uh, it's all of a sudden a sports town. It's a booming sports town. NHL with the Golden Knights, it's huge. It just makes sense. And it, it immediately becomes the best road game in the league. Um, <laughs> right. Everything everything just makes sense. It screams it. And when that happens, if it happens, your boy will be there. Uh, th- there you go. That's, that's what it's going to take. You, if, if they get a team, in MLS, an MLS team in Vegas, you will be part of that. I, I had a feeling because I, that that's kind of a no-brainer for me. Well, I'd like to be part of it. <laughs> right, right, right. I got you. Well, definitely appreciate the time and, uh, you know, c- congrats on all the success with the TV work. Cause I tell you, I, and I, I'm not just blowing smoke because I don't blow smoke. You you're, you, you are one of the better. In terms of being able to do English and Spanish, your, your Spanish impresses me. And look, you know, knowing Spanish is one thing, but also being able to ha- handle yourself in those debates with the guys from Mexico when you're, when you're handing them their hats in these debates, I love Love it. It's great to see, and especially with some of the bad I appreciate Spanish that, man. I, I appreciate that. It, it's uh, it's fun. It's it's just a dream come true. Because, like you said, listen, we're multicultural, and we we've, we've grown up a certain way to, to hear our football and, and to see these guys and and to experience it and to be kind of on that end of it. And it, it's been wild for me. So it's been a lot of fun. But yeah, no, definitely. Thank you for the time, and and hopefully we can get you on again, uh, m- maybe this summer when things are are getting better. Uh, and uh, it, it won't be it won't be as long next time. I promise you. I, I'll keep it shorter. But definitely, uh, thanks, sounds good. I, thanks I for the time. Anytime, right? And that's Hercules Gomez. Uh, absolutely great to have him on, and he's he's not afraid to speak his mind. Uh, you, you know, you love that uh, from him. Obviously, there's not enough people who who aren't afraid to speak their minds. Of course, some people aren't afraid, but then the things they say, no one wants to listen to because they're nonsensical. But I, 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 you know, I appreciate uh, Herc, Herc's opinion on a lot of these issues, and particularly, obviously, the the issue regarding uh, the Latino community and U.S. soccer, and it's it's definitely a sensitive subject. Uh, in U.S. soccer, because people get defensive when it comes when you when you kind of call out or question the, the the work being done. And as Hercules pointed out, 
uh, it's a, a better job is being done now. Uh, and, and definitely on the senior men's national team level, credit to Greg Berhalter for definitely stepping it up and doing more, more doing more to be proactive in terms of recruiting players and, and kind of showing the Latin American players in the pipeline that, yes, we want you. Yes, you are part of, of our plan and we want you to be part of our plan. So that's great to see, obviously. And that's not always been the case there that not everyone has done that to that degree and it's really what you need to do now especially with mexico and the mexican federation being very aggressive and continuing to be aggressive uh going after the dual nationals and going after players who can represent the u.s and mexico and and it's it is it is basically a a whole recruiting effort and i know there was a period of time when the question was is that something that that U.S. soccer should do is it should the should the U.S. men's national national team be so like super proactive, or should they leave it to players to decide on their own? And uh, you know, I mean, you've had different opinions on that. I mean, I can remember Tab Ramos basically saying, "Listen, it should be you know the players should want to play for us. We shouldn't have to like beg them to play for us." And I, I get that perspective, but at the same time, players want to be loved. Players want to be appreciated. Players generally want you know if you show them that you want them, that goes a long way. And obviously, Mexico's putting the full court press on a a lot of these top level prospects and there was that period of time there where you absolutely can argue that U.S. soccer wasn't being proactive on that front. And obviously that's changed now. Greg Berhalter, full credit, he is going he's going after everybody. If you're eligible to play for the U.S. and you're talented and you can help the program, he is calling you. He is texting you. He's calling you. He's emailing you, whatever he's got to do. And now you're seeing with the call ups, you're seeing with the dual nationals, the Eunice Musas, you know, Nicholas Giacchini's and obviously in the Latin American community, the Julian Araujo's, the Sebastian Soto's, Richie Ledesma's and now Efren Alvarez, the young uh, Mexican-American midfielder who obviously was part of what, you know, one of the big stars on that Mexico under 17 team that made it to the under under 17 World Cup final. Everyone's been talking about Efren Alvarez for several years now. Now, is he necessarily you know, will he pan out or not? Who knows? But the fact is, he's eligible to play for the United States and he's a talented young player. So you want to get him into the pipeline. You absolutely want to get him in the pipeline. So we'll, we'll see. Uh, it's great to see. It's great to see that that has improved. And does that mean everything is great in terms of the U.S. soccer relationship with the Latin American community, the, the Latino American community? Could it, are there things that could be better? Absolutely. And I, I firmly believe that. And just because. People think more can be done uh, doesn't mean people, you know, people should get offended or people should say, oh, you know, what are we not doing? And it's like, listen, more can be done. There can be more representation. There can be more Latino coaches in the system. There can be more of an effort on the grassroots level. The U.S. men's national team level, it's 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 gotten closer to where it needs to be. It's actually, Greg Berhalter's done a great job there. But in terms of when you go further and further down in, into the kind of grassroots level, there are things that clearly can improve and hopefully will continue to improve because obviously, look, man, the the Mexican the Mexican Federation is 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 not going to let up because they see the talent here, they see the ta- the, the players that are being produced like the Ricardo Pepe's, uh, who you know the FC Dallas striker who can play for either country, the U.S. or Mexico, and who is still isn't cap tied. So they're going to be those continuing battles, uh, and and hopefully, it uh, the effort from U.S. soccer in the Latino American community continues to improve so that, you know, the, the U.S., the, the entire pipeline, the entire f- the framework is getting the most out of 
every community in in the U.S. And, you know, a lot of people, myself included, have, have felt for some time now that maybe the Latino American community has not been fully utilized. So we'll see. We'll see if hopefully things improve. And obviously, Hercules Gomez is someone who's who's fought the fight in that front and has voiced his opinions on that front for a long time. And, and you know, I, I appreciate his effort on that front. Now, moving on to MLS talk, and obviously uh, one of the first stories that I definitely want to touch on is uh, FC Cincinnati. Obviously, we, last episode, we, we, we discussed their, their signing of the Brazilian striker Brenner, but they, they are dominating the headlines this, this offseason with, with so much going on, not only in, on the transfer market and in terms of players that they're talking about bringing in, but now you have Frankie Amaya, their, their talented young midfielder, requesting a trade and the athletic uh, reported it first and now it's out there it's public frankie amaya has let it be known he doesn't feel wanted or he doesn't feel like his career can go where he wants it to go he's ready to leave and it's been two years right he was the number one pick in the draft two years ago he spends two seasons in cincinnati two pretty forgettable seasons because the team has been terrible and now he wants out he wants to go and if you're at Cincinnati, you're sitting here like, wait a minute, like we're going and spending on like millions of dollars to improve this team. We have a stadium opening in the summer, hopefully, knock on wood. And now you want to leave. Uh, so it, it, it's created a, a very, very interesting situation there because obviously, you know, there are teams that are interested. Uh, the Athletic has reported that they've already Cincinnati's already turned down some pretty big offers, including one offer that was, I believe, as much or more than what was paid for Darlington Nagby when Darlington Nagby went to uh to Columbus. So if you're Cincinnati, you're kind of looking at it like, do we really want to let go of this talented young midfielder or should we, you know, obviously he's unhappy. If we can get a really big uh, trade, then maybe we should consider it. So, I mean, for me, I don't know. I mean, it's a it, it's a tough one. I mean, for me, it's a little, I don't know, the, for, for a player who's only been in the league for two years, a very, very young player. Obviously, look, I'm sure he would rather play in California, right? He's from California. Maybe he'd rather play for the Galaxy. Maybe he'd rather play for LAFC. But look, I think you could, I'm sure every roster in MLS has players on it that would rather be playing some other place in some other market. And, you know, they were drafted, whatever team they're on. Uh, So I don't know. I mean, it's for me, if I'm Cincinnati, I got to find a way to keep him. I'm not just going to let him go. And I'm definitely not going to let him go for 10 cents on the dollar or for like a, you know, underpriced uh, deal just because he's obviously put it out there and that, that obviously hurts their bargaining power because you know now teams know he's unhappy. Now teams know he's asked to be traded and that, that kind of can hurt in negotiations sometimes but it'll be up to Cincinnati to see what they can do. Uh, I personally wouldn't trade him. I w- you know, given what they are trying to do and given the fact, given the fact that they're clearly trying to improve I mean, he's a, he should be a big piece of that puzzle. And I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. If it's a case of he does not get along with Yap Stam and he doesn't think Stam's going to get the most out of him and he's going to kind of be a forgotten figure once, you know, the new players come along, once Brenner comes in, once they add Pitti Martinez, if they add Pitti Martinez, or if they add Luciano Acosta, like, it, it, does his role get diminished? So, I, I mean, I, it, I don't know. For me, it's a little... It's a little weird for a young player in the just going into the third year of his deal to already start talking about wanting to be traded or I mean, you can want to be traded, but to actually come out and say, all right, look, here's my trade request. That's I don't know. I don't know if I'm behind that. I mean, look, as a player, you you know, you you can do what you want, of course, but it doesn't mean a team has to back down on it or, or just give you what you want. So we'll see, man. Uh, we'll, 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 I'm, I'm curious to see how how 
much since he's willing to fight this or if they're just going to cut their losses and try to get a big a big return. And for me, the real issue is it's one thing if they can get a, a good chunk of allocation money for him. But I don't I mean, I, the, they need more talent. They don't need more money. They don't need more allocation money. They need more talent. They need to keep the talent that they have. So that's why I don't know. I don't see them. I don't see the trade being a, I don't see it happening unless they can get a trade where they're getting a very useful piece. Uh, you know, if they can get a, a quality center back. But how many teams are trading away quality center backs? You don't really see it happen very often. I mean, sometimes it happens. I know Kansas City did it with like Opara. And again, that was the situation where he also kind of wanted to go because he you know he wanted a new contract so they said listen it wasn't it's not working out he ends up getting traded but i don't know who's going to trade a, a high level center back for frankie amaya but if they if someone is willing to do that and somebody really wants amaya that's the kind of trade that would make sense if i'm cincinnati and now speaking of mls we obviously have an mls player as our second guest on the show and we have new england revolution defender uh, and grizzled veteran now. Now he's a grizzled veteran as opposed to a, a rookie. And uh, University of Louisville alumnus Andrew Farrell joining us from Boston. Uh, Andrew, welcome to the SBI show. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Alex. How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. I uh, So as I told you before we got on, this is episode 300. And you were actually on episode one, which I don't want anyone to listen to because it's so bad in terms of the audio yeah. quality. But it, wow. w- it was pretty cool to listen to it. Uh, it we talked. I, I talked to you before you got drafted, which feels like a hundred years ago. Uh, yeah. Uh, but here we are, eight years later, and and, and you're a veteran. You're a grizzled veteran now. You're not. You're not the kid coming out of Louisville anymore. You're a grizzled veteran. So tell me how, how it's it's been. A, obviously, it was a challenging 2020 with the pandemic, but. There were positives. Mm-hmm. There were positives for you in New England with the the great year that you had. Tell me about that year and and wh- what did you like the most about the year? Con- you know, all things considered, it, it seemed like it was a pretty good year for you guys. Yeah, no, it, it was a it was a good year. I think um, obviously, I think during started off not too well uh, going to, at Montreal, going to Montreal, and coming home, tied in Chicago. But then bubble, we did well. Um, and then I don't know, we were just we were such a good team on the road. Um, I don't know for some reason we couldn't win at home, um, but it was it was a good year, um, especially when we got obviously Carlos back healthy. I think he's one of the top top players in the league. What he is one of the top players in the league. Not, I think that I know that. Um, and getting him back late in the year and, and kind of making a little run at the end and obviously that playoff run that we made um, was really good. It was a fun year. We got a lot of production from some rookies, um, and obviously Matt Turner obviously being the the guy that is a player that he is was helpful. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a fun year. It was very tough not being able to see our families as much and all the international guys, I'm sure it was even, even harder for them because, you know, like guys like Butner and, and Adam Buxa and I think of international guys we had, all the Carlos and all the international guys just like, you know, being here and being so far away from their families uh, and not being able to see them was probably pretty tough. But it was tough on everybody. By the end of the year, you were clearly one of the better teams in the league, and then getting Carlos back was a, was a big game changer for you. I have to ask mm-hmm. you about Bruce Arena. I haven't had a chance to to talk to you since he came on board. Before they hired, before New England hired him, I, I'd actually suggested that they need to just give him the keys because he's obviously mm-hmm. been, he's built championship teams multiple times now with DC and LA, and he's come in there and already and clearly put a stamp on the team. What what do you, what's been the best thing about playing for him? And, and could you tell early on that that he how you know 
did you tell? Could you tell early on why he's such, been in such a success before? Um, once he, I mean, obviously Pedigree, he wins every everywhere he goes. So like, he wasn't gonna come here and you know not get what he needed to get to win. I think it was very telling when he first came in. It was we went on that run at the end of the year after he took over and made, we obviously lost Atlanta, but we had like we were two eight and two I think when he first came in and took the team. The same players. I mean, it was the same guys that we had here, and he took took us and made a run and it's just how he manages he's a very good manager of people and i think that's good whether you're you know work you're a manager a soccer manager or you're a coach at any level or you know work in an office job if you know how to manage people and, and manage egos and all that kind of thing i think you'll be successful and uh he i from day one i realized that's how he, he was good at that and um but it's been good he's, he's really good with all the players and he's very demanding um but he also knows how to when things are, are either tough, he knows how to, you know, lighten the mood or when things are, you know, getting a little light lighthearted and, and when he's tighten things up, he knows how to keep guys going. So um, he's very honest and I think guys respect that and uh, everybody likes to play for him. So he's got guys to buy in like that. And, and obviously you're you're one of the, the veterans on the team, even though you're still in your 20s, you're still relatively yeah. young, but so young, so you, young. you've taken on, I mean, how important was it for you to kind of take on that leadership role? I mean, I know you're not a, like a, you know, you're not a rah-rah guy, but you do, you know, yeah. you can speak up when you need to. Do you feel like that, that you've kind of developed that part of your game to kind of be a leader in that, in this, in this squad? I think so. I think that, well, that's something that we, we worked, we talked about um, on the off season coming into his Bruce's first full season, which was yes, which was last yesterday, which was last year, which right. kind of, it seems like so long ago. It seems like we were, we, he was, he has been here for so long. Um, he said, you know, obviously with, like, well, it was before we uh, picked up Kessler, but he said, obviously, you're going to be one of the older guys, the guys who's been here for a long time. Um, and especially, as you looked at our back line during the playoff games, there was, you know, Tejon, DeWan, and Kessler, and then Turner. They're all, I was the, young, I was the oldest guy at the back, at the back four, and, and, and Turner. So just speaking up, and he kind of, yeah, like you said, I'm not too much of a rah rah guy, but, um, you know, giving you know, little pointers here and there. And then, yeah, talking up when I need to talk. And we have, uh, this team is really good. Obviously, we have Carlos and, and Gustavo, who are, you know, captain and, I guess, vice captain and, and Teal Bunbury. Um, but you have guys like Scotty Caldwell, a lot of good veterans on our team who who, who feel the confidence of the coaches when we can, we can speak up and, and, and uh, you know, make things happen and, and say our, speak our minds. Now, now, one of the guys you mentioned, uh, Henry Kessler, obviously he had a big rookie year. Uh, first round pick. Uh, he he obviously exceeded all expectations coming into the coming into his rookie season. People thought he was okay, mm-hmm. but I I started hearing some talk about him in preseason already that he was turning heads and you know with this passing and his poise and obviously for for you know rookies usually coming in don't have have that kind of that the poise that it, it sounds like he he had from day one. Could you tell mm-hmm. could you tell him preseason that okay this is a different kind of rookie maybe he's going to be able to hit the ground running? Yeah, uh, I think. Kind of when I first met him, he he he's very uh, very um, measured and very uh, uh, he's very thoughtful. He always is thinking through how like you ask him a very simple, give you a simple question, and he's very thoughtful about how he's going to answer it. Um, and when I first yeah when I first saw him on the field, obviously he's got the size, got long legs, um, he's really good pass of the ball, aggressive, and he's obviously young and super energetic and so. Uh, but the I think the biggest trait uh, that I have him is so competitive. He just wants to win at everything, and um, obviously when he first came in, he, I was really talented player. I knew he, the things they had done at uh, 
Virginia, and obviously Bruce knew him really well. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's a really good player. Hit the ground running. Um, and I think, I don't know if he exceeded expectations, but I think he, those expectations he had for himself. Um, but I told him, I was like, I'm expecting you to be on the national team. Um, like from the, from day one, I told him, I think you're talented enough. And, um, you know, if you ever need any, like whatever you need help from me or, you know, I was like, I don't, I don't know. I can help you if you need anything, but I was just being there. I, we talked about a lot of things. He, he likes to watch a lot of the games, but every, after every game, we'll like, we'll both watch the games at nighttime and we'll just like text each other and Snapchat each other and be like looking at the game nice. to film certain plays and stuff like that. So, um, and that's kind of helped me a little bit. I had never really done that. And, um, he's a guy that's helped me a lot, um, in my positioning, um, my communication. So, um, yeah, he's been a, he's been a really good addition to our team. Um, and I'm expecting him to be on a national team at some point, full national team. And I expect him to, you know, do big things. And now, obviously, you, you've settled in now as a center back. You, you played center back and right back. You kind of went back and forth for a few years. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, you'll. I know you'll do whatever whatever a coach needs you to do. You're going to do. Uh, yeah. But how how much has it helped you? Do you think just to kind of focus on one position it, and settle in and kind of just get locked into to knowing that this is where I'm going to be? It, it's definitely helpful. Um, definitely, so I can work on it a little bit more. Um, also, how Bruce wants to be outside back playing. So we got guys like Kajon, Brandon, Dewan. I'm like, I can't, I'm like, <laughs> I think I'm fast, but these guys can run. Right. I mean, I tell you, these, Dewan, Kajon, these guys can fly. Brandon. So I think Bruce saw me run. He's like, yeah, you can't keep up with Kajon and <laughs> right, these guys. So center back, I'm pretty fast with center back, but as the as how Bruce wants the, the wing backs and, and full backs to play, getting bombed for, I'm like, I'm not that old, but I can't keep up with these young guns anymore. That's right. Uh, so, but yeah, I, I really enjoy it, um, and especially you know watching film and and the, the whole coach that not just Bruce but you know, Richie Williams, Dave Vandenberg, um, they've all been super super helpful and in uh, film and helping me you know get better and better at that at this position. Now, now Tejon's someone who obviously really had a breakout this year with the, when he moved over to right back. And Bruce has done this before. He's taken guys mm-hmm. who were wingers. Uh, turned them into right backs and had huge success. I mean, he's been doing this for like 20 years now. Did, did yeah. you, did, could you kind of see that in Tejan? And, and is it fair to say you kind of, you know, you knew that he could do something special, but now with him at right yeah. back, he's, he's definitely found his spot. Yeah, I think he's, he's a very talented kid. He's always, you know, done some, some amazing stuff in practice. Um, and I think for him, it was just like a confidence thing. He never, you know, I think he never really got a couple uh, a chance to play consistently, and and um, there's been games where you know he he's been kind of, I think early on, I think he had a really good game against Kansas City. I think he had two assists. It was a it was like a five five four four game right. uh, against KC where he had I think assists or maybe two assists, and then they didn't get to play after that before um, Bruce came in, and then, but yeah, he, I don't know what what Bruce saw. Um, but clearly he knows what he's doing. Um, and Tejon, obviously, very, uh, a very good kid, very positive, um, very willing to do whatever he needs to do to, to be playing. And as you, as you can see, he took off and he was a, a big, big player for us in the, in the playoffs. Huge. So, yeah. So it sounds like you're, if, uh, if we're doing, if we're ranking your team, uh, player by player in terms of speed, you're nowhere near the top anymore. It sounds like you're middle of the. No, no, <laughs> no. These guys not are, even. I'm not even gonna. You don't I'm make the four by one on this team. They, they, they got no. they got the spots locked up. Okay. Yeah, we got we got we got a lot of speed. 
but I can I can still keep up. But right, right. I'm not. I'm not stopped. <laughs> right. I'm not anymore. Yeah. No, you just you just you just get hit him with an elbow like in the first ten. Exactly. That's yeah. It. That, that's... I don't have to be as fast as them. I can just. Exactly. The veteran tricks, man. That's 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 the the veteran savvy. Uh, Exactly. Now, now another guy I obviously have to ask you about who who we had on the show just two weeks ago, uh, Matt Turner. And obviously he's Mm -hmm. he's someone who's really come into his own the last couple of years. And uh, I was telling him how I remember years ago, uh, Remy Roy telling me, hey, I have this kid from Jersey. His name is Matt Turner. You're going to hear about him. I had no idea who he was talking about. He was like some kid from Fairfield. I was like, okay, all right, I believe you. Um, and then here he is. He's crushing it. And did, could you – when when did you kind of first – was there anything that told you this was what, that he was going to be able to do this, like before he became a starter? Was there any sign that this, mm-hmm. that he had this in him? Um, in fact, when he literally just FaceTimed me. I told him. I was talking, I was talking about you right now. Um, but the, um, I, he, he was such a good shot stopper. Like he, he just, in practice, like obviously he would get more reps at, with like, you know, the shooting and, and obviously when, I, when the shooting and like, I can get some shots, I'm always jumping in there, but, um, very good shot stopper from the get go. It's funny cause me and Turner, like we're really close now. The first year I just didn't even like him that much. Like it was, right. it was like, so yeah. And then we started hanging out, and um, and obviously, yeah, now we're super, super close. But um, he was again very similar to Kessler, as in they they like they love to win, super competitive, um, and he was obviously top top uh, shot stopper when he got in here. And then he just you know took his time, you know, watched you know Bobby, you know uh, Brad Knight, and kind of got learned from Remy. Um, and he's had really good two really good goalie coaches, and Ruben. Uh, when under Friedel and then uh, Hitch, Hitchy, Tom Hitchcock. Um, so, and he's done well. He's worked hard, and he's, I think he's got a good balance in his life now. He's got a, he's got a, a really good girlfriend that's good for him, and he's he's in a good place. And um, obviously, he got a really good uh, really good camp. He got his first cab, did really well for you know what he had to do, and he's been working on his, on his feet. So, um, I think he he's another. Obviously, everybody's been talking about him, but he's another guy that's. Uh, going to take an, even another step this year and um you know hopefully he's going to be here for a long time but how much did you celebrate how much did you celebrate the penalty when he saves the penalty were you kind of, oh. were you freaking out when he when he makes the save there yeah uh yeah i mean i was because i was just like oh like he has such a you know like this game he's not getting that many shots right. he's really good on his feet but like of course like they're going to get a pk and he's not going to save and it's like uh but yeah I, I, he, he saves a lot of DKs in practice. It's not like a, I mean, obviously say the one in Orlando before. That's right. Um, and, but he, he makes some crazy plays. He's a really, really good, really good keeper for us, um, and for hopefully for the national team for a long time. Right, right. So is he on? Is he on Facetime right now? Is he like listening in? No, 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 no. He's not on right now. <laughs> okay, but I, gonna... he, 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 I declined the call. I declined the call. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he, yeah, he wants to play some Fortnite. Oh, he's nice. Like, Fortnite when I get home. Yeah. So are you pretty? Are you pretty good? Are you pretty? My my my, my younger son is a is a Fortnite master apparently. Yeah, no, nah, I'm okay. I'm not. Really good. You know, really, Christian Roldan is probably the one. Of the oh best really? Okay. Yeah, he's yeah, he's really good. Nice. So so yeah. I, I have to. One thing I definitely have to ask you about is is mm-hmm. you, you finally we haven't talked since you became a goal scorer extraordinaire. You 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 went you went five seasons. Uh, yep. without a goal and mm-hmm. so i have to ask you, you you get two within like a month apart but before that 
once you go into that season 20, I mean, were you even still thinking about goals when you go five years, 150, 160 games without a goal? Were you even still thinking about that goal? Like, was it still on your mind or? or? I, I wasn't. And it, also people don't realize that outside back, I will always, I wasn't even going up for a free kick. So that's another, people have been crushing me about like, oh, I'm kept <laughs> right. got one goal already in one season. But this is like six six and or not six six, but he's like six four, and he's going up for all the like the corner kicks. I've been, you know, the guy in the back. That's why we don't get scored on 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 counter right. off corner kicks because I'm back there. So, but um, no, I didn't. I didn't think about it too much. I was like, it's probably not going to happen ever. Well, and so, so when it happened, I was pretty pretty bummed. But well, yeah. when you hit, okay, you hit, the, you score the goal. Yeah. I mean, what? What? I mean, can you re- can you remember it? Like I blacked out. I blacked. <laughs> I blacked out. I'm not gonna lie to you. Like it's been. It, That's like one of the best feelings I've ever felt in my life. I like went insane. I could not. I did not. I don't know how to describe it. Um, I mean, that's why I saw. I celebrate all our team's goals. Like no matter who right, scores, of course, I'm like, of I love it. But like scoring a goal in a competitive like professional game is like. I mean, for some people, they score all the time, so right, they don't right. celebrate. But every time I score, I'm going to celebrate. Like it's like the World Cup. How how long did it take you after you scored to like remember I'm playing in a game? I mean, did it take you a couple. It minutes? was yeah, it was yeah. Well, it was like it was right before halftime. So I was like, yeah, I like ran around for like a little bit, and I was like, yeah, and I was like, oh, we got second half to play, but we were up a man. Um, so okay. it was like I was like, okay, we're up a man, up two two goals uh, at halftime. So it was like a pretty nice like second half to just calm my nerves, but. You know, I was pretty hyped. And then you get another one, like, a, was it a month later? It was like, yeah, it was like a couple, yeah, it was like three weeks or so later. But it was like, it was actually right after halftime, half we were losing to Philly 2-0. It was a 2-1. So again, I didn't get to, I still celebrated, but not as hard because right. we were down. But yeah, it was still pretty. So at that point, you're starting to think, I've, I've unlocked the code. I, I am now going to be a goal scorer. Is yeah, that I, I told the coach, I was like, hey, put my up if you need me, if you need some goals. He clearly didn't do that, and uh, we didn't finish that season that well. <laughs> they, they never throw you forward, and then, and then stoppage time. You're never trying to get no. in the box there, no. No, uh, which is crazy, you know. Right? They should so, have yeah, you up there. They should have you up there. Yeah. yeah. So, so obviously the pandemic. Um, there's a lot. You, you can't do much. Yeah, you you're stuck at home. There's there's only so much. Especially you know, in the Northeast, people are actually paying attention to to. to yeah. quarantining not while yeah. they're not wild mm-hmm. now like in florida but you know not to no. call anybody uh-huh. out, but what what, is, what have you done to kind of pass the time if, is, is there any new hobbies I, I know i asked you about the piano for people who don't know mm-hmm. andrew's got some piano skills and you were showing them off on social media for a little while but then that kind of went away what what have you what's been what's like the new thing in your resume or, or the new thing on your skills list that you picked up during the pandemic i mean it's, i've been been reading a little bit i've been i'm obviously watching netflix shows um, Netflix movies and shows. I've been I've been playing a little bit of piano, but not not as much as it was at the beginning of quarantine. Actually, was like in a relationship, and I into my relationship. So I've been solo. I moved I moved uh, to downtown Boston, so I'm now in the uh, city. Okay. So I'm, but not, I mean, it's not like I can do much. <laughs> anyway, you're ready though. You're ready when when. But things, yeah, when so you know, back to normal. You'll be right. Yeah, now. when things are back to normal, exactly. Okay. How, um, but how, no, not too much. How about cooking? Okay. I mean, are you trying to? Pick I've, up some? Yeah, I've done, I've done some cooking. I've done some. Uh, um, I actually went vegan for a little bit. Tried vegan. Uh, wasn't for me. Right. I did, and, I did that too. I yeah. Did that too. Yeah. That's tough. But um, yeah, I've done a little bit of cooking. But I, I, my mom sent me this um, veggie um, stir fry like uh-huh. um, recipe. 
and it's uh, to die for. And I, that's like one of the things I can make if someone were to come over. It's like I trust myself to make that. So you haven't but, learned any uh, any Peruvian dishes? Come on, man! No, I but I, but I found a really I found a really good Peruvian restaurant that's in East Boston, El Rincón Limeño. Okay. And oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. So all right, we're going there. Yeah. Next time, uh, yeah. when, when things so, are back to normal, we're gonna go there. Yeah. If if you come up for you know MLS Cup, you know. There you go. If we host MLS Cup or like for the World Cup. I'll take you out. I'll go up there for a pre. I'll go up there for anything. It doesn't have to be okay. a big deal. A game, <laughs> okay. Any, okay. Any well, game. Yeah. When the okay. Pandem- when the pandemic ends yeah. and, and you know, knock on wood, we get good. back to it maybe this year later. I'll get up yeah. there. I'll get up there. Okay. And, but, yeah. Uh, I'll do that. I'm trying to think. Actually, I, I still remember the one time we 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 had yeah. in New Jersey. Yeah. And that did. same. I feel like that same. That's the same game where uh, Thierry Henry uh, gave you a nice oh little. Uh, yeah. I still that's... have that picture. I have that picture on my camera roll somewhere of your eye. Yeah. I gotta send it to you. I don't know if you have one. Uh, yeah. For your, you know, your, yeah, your yeah. keepsakes. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, New Jersey's got yeah. the best Peruvian food outside of yeah. outside of yeah. Lima. I don't for, know. Yeah. I, don't know if, I think I've told you that. Yeah, you told me that. I mean, yeah, you showed me. It's so good. It's yeah. definitely it's definitely great to have you on, and and it's great to be talking now that that you know things are obviously going well for for the revolution. I know it was a it was yeah, a rough, it was a rough go, a couple of years there, um, of some up and down, up and down years. But obviously with Bruce Arena in charge now, you, you guys are on in a different level, different tax bracket. So have you yeah. thought about twenty twenty one, and and do you feel like? given how how you guys looked and how close you came is there that feeling coming out of that year that we can absolutely win this in 21 yeah i think we're very confident in what we have obviously we're disappointed how it ended um but it was you know obviously columbus obviously ended up winning but we thought um we you know it, you know a couple mistakes here or there that could have changed that game um and we had the same team coming back adding some new some 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 really good players and then obviously getting you know guys like Luis Caicedo back so, um, and we obviously got a little bit more experience. All those guys, you know, Kessler, again, experience, Tejon, DeWan, Brandon, you know, all the younger guys who maybe have not experienced that, um, have not experienced it. And, um, one of the biggest things I think for MLS teams also is when, when you have DPs who are, who are hidden, um, things can happen. And we got some really good DPs, especially Carlos, um, and Gustavo and Adam, those guys. You know, when they're on all firing on all cylinders, um, it's it's tough not to to make deep runs like we did. Definitely, good luck this year, and uh, we, we, you know, hopefully, when things get back to normal, we can definitely have some Peruvian, whether that's in Jersey yeah. or in Boston. And uh, good luck, man. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, MLS Cup, you can add that add that to the list of accomplishments. Yeah, there. I need to hit. I need to get that. I need a trophy. And that's Andrew Farrell. Uh, absolutely great to have him on. And, uh, you know, he, he's, uh, as I said, he's been on the show uh, at least tw- twice before, episode one, episode 100. And for those unfamiliar with Andrew's backstory, he, he actually spent part of his, his younger life uh, growing up in Peru. And uh, his family, his, his parents were missionaries, and, and he spent uh, time living in Peru. So he actually speaks fluent Spanish with a full-fledged Peruvian accent. And I'm sure it, it, it totally blows away, uh, you know, Latin Americans who, 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 like, come across him and don't realize his story. And I'm sure it completely surprises any uh, any Spanish speakers who might meet him or might talk to him and they hear that accent. And it's, uh, you know, for those who don't know about 
specific Spanish accents. It's a, you know the Peruvian accent's a very distinct accent, and and for those of you who don't know, I'm also Peru- I'm Peruvian American. My, my my family's Peruvian, and so so you know Andrew Andrew and I have always kind of vibed on the Peruvian thing, and I've taken him to, to have Peruvian food, and uh, I'm surprised he hasn't learned how to cook some. Yeah, ha- if you have Peruvian influence in your life, you have to learn how to make some Peruvian food because Peruvian food is the best food in the world. I know I'm being I know I'm a little biased, but that's just my opinion. Uh, but yeah, no, it was great to have great to have Andrew on, and uh, you know. He's he's obviously been an important part of that uh, improvement in New England uh, under Bruce Arena. He's he's one of those key veterans on that team, and we'll see what they can do in 2021 if they can take that next step to be a title contender. Obviously, when you have Bruce Arena as your coach, and with every year that he has to to revamp a roster, to tweak the roster, to keep improving the players on his roster, he's going to get them that much closer to to, uh, to title contention, and I think they're going to absolutely be a contender in 2021. And now the last thing on the MLS front, we have to talk CONCACAF Champions League and the the draw for the knockout rounds of the CONCACAF Champions League uh, took place on Wednesday and MLS teams found out their their opponents for the round of 16 and potential opponents for the quarterfinals. And uh, it's safe to say it's going to be a tough road uh, for the MLS teams, right? And it's always, it's never easy. And obviously the, you know, we know about uh, how tough it's been for MLS teams to to get over that hump and win that first CONCACAF Champions League title in the new format. Obviously, 20 years ago, you had the LA Galaxy and DC United both win uh, CONCACAF competitions in previous versions. But in the current uh, CONCACAF Champions League setup, we have not seen an MLS team win yet. If that's going to change, it's not going to be easy. There's going to be some tough, uh, a tough road, tough sledding for the five teams, the five MLS teams that are in the competition. And you have first things first, Toronto FC isn't officially in the round of 16 yet. They'll be favored to defeat Forge FC to get into the round of 16. But if and if they do that, congratulations, Chris Armis and TFC. You get Club Leon, the uh, you know arguably the best team, if not one of the best teams in Mexico, right off the bat in the round of 16. And I'm sure Club Leon is going to be looking for a little payback on MLS teams after being eliminated from last year's uh, Champions League by LAFC in what was an absolutely amazing uh, knockout round uh, series. But that's going to be a tough one for TFC. Even if they beat Club Leon, next round quarterfinals, likely to, they'll likely have to face Cruz Azul. So right off the bat, you're talking two tough opponents, similar road to what TFC, uh, I'm sorry, what LAFC had to go go through. So we'll see if TFC can do it. Obviously, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're playing for a new coach now Gray Vanny left and Chris Armis has taken over so uh it'll be interesting to see how how they adapt and they're they're not going to have much time to to uh, you know adapt to their new coach first things first they have to beat Forge FC which they'll be expected to but I don't like their chances uh going up against a very very strong club Leon team uh, if you're asking me who the best best bet or best hope for MLS to win the Champions League in this in this 21 2021 knockout rounds it, it you have to think it's the Columbus crew they're you know they're obviously the the reigning MLS Cup champions and you can argue they're the best team in in this pool right they, I think for me it's pretty clear they're the best team Philadelphia Union were the supporter shield winners but they just lost two of their best players to transfers they sold Mark McKenzie they sold Brendan Aronson two players that are gonna be very very tough to replace so for me Columbus Crew are the best hope, and while they have a relatively easy round of 16 matchup against Real Esteli, things get tough very quickly because you're talking about a potential quarterfinal against Monterrey, and if in, and if they happen to 
survive that and win that, then you're talking about a semifinal against potentially Club Leon, Cruz Azul, or, you know, if by some luck or by some chance Toronto FC survives that gauntlet, we could see Columbus Toronto semifinal. I don't know about that. I think we'll probably see Club Leon uh, in the semifinal. But uh, Caleb Porter, man, I- I'm curious to see him uh, rise to that challenge of the CONCACAF Champions League. And obviously the crew have loaded up. Uh, they didn't rest on their laurels winning that MLS Cup. They went out and got Bradley Wright Phillips. They went out and got Kevin Molino. Two big, big, big attacking pieces. And that's the kind of, those are the kind of moves you need to make if you're really going to be serious about making a deep run in Champions League. So they have the weapons, they have the firepower, but it's obviously going to be, the challenge is going to be getting sharp enough. When you're still not in mid-season, right? Like there, the MLS season doesn't start until mid-April. Now that's something else that you know we didn't talk about earlier. But MLS did announce that April seventeenth is the first is the opening weekend of the season, and these Concacaf Champions League matches are going to be played uh, before that. So the crew are not going to be uh, they're not going to be match fit. They're not going to be match sharp uh, in season sharpness. So them against a Monterey team that probably will be, I want to say, what, at least two to three months into their season? It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. But Columbus Crew, they're the best hope, I'd say, of the teams that are in. And uh, obviously the Portland Timbers are an interesting one, of course. Uh, you know, they, they they should, you know, they'll be favored in their round of 16 match against uh, Marathon, Marathon. But then they have Club America potentially in the quarterfinals. Not an easy one by any means. That's going to be very, very, very tough one. For me, the most intriguing part of the of the draw is the fact that you have a little MLS versus Costa Rica quadrant where the Philadelphia Union take on Deportivo Saprissa and Atlanta United takes on Alajuelense. And that's two very good matchups. Uh, I, I very, I'm very interested to see how those matchups go. Obviously, you know, if you're comparing leagues, you, you like to think MLS is stronger than the Costa Rica League. But these are two teams traditionally that have good teams. They're good. They're perennially uh, title contenders in Costa Rica, and they've and they've also done de- pretty well in Concacaf Champions League. So that's they're not pushovers by any means. The Union and Atlanta United are going to face some really good challenges right there. So I'm looking forward to that. And maybe we'll maybe we will have a Union Atlanta United quarterfinal. I mean that'd be great to see. Uh, you know the the support show winners against uh, Gabriel Heinze and Atlanta United. Well, first things first, they got to get through the Costa Ricans. We'll see if they can do that. And I think that's it for episode. 300 of the SBI show we and we covered so much obviously with the interviews we had a uh this is definitely a record I don't know how long this episode's going to end up being but it's pretty long uh but it, it was great to have Hercules Gomez and Andrew Farrell on uh just to kind of you know touch on some of the topics that we were able to touch on and obviously with everything going on in with the Americans abroad and with the U.S. men's national team and with MLS, things are starting to heat up. I know February is always a little bit of a quiet month, uh, but there's still so much to talk about before we get into March when you have Olympic qualifying, the U.S. friendlies with the full strength team. There's definitely going to be more to talk about, but obviously in February, uh, there's still plenty to dig into. So definitely thank thank you to our guests for episode 300 and thank all of you who have continued to listen to the SBI show, even through the breaks, even through the hiatuses. We are back, though, and my plan is to keep it rolling. And who knows, maybe we'll start going three episodes a week. We won't have guests every episode if we do three episodes a week, but I want to start getting into that rhythm. 
uh, of, of knocking out a show maybe one, Monday, Wednesday, Friday uh, as a schedule. Shorter episodes, but I think we can pull it off. I think I can pull it off. Uh, my question is, will you listen? If if we if the numbers show that yes, people want that that schedule. If people want three episodes a week. I'll make it happen. So it's uh, let me know. Let me know in the comments. Let me know on Twitter. If you want three episodes a week, I will make it happen. If the if if the the demand is there, I'll do it. I'll make it happen because it's fun. I, I love doing the show. Uh, the production side of things can be a little tedious, but still, uh, the end product is great. And obviously, when I go back and listen to episode one and how terrible it sounded, when I listen to it now, I like you know what? This sounds good. This sounds so much better. So I want to keep doing it. I want to have as many episodes as I can possibly have. So if you want more episodes, please let me know but that's all for now for hercules gomez and andrew farrell episode 300 is in the books thank you for listening i'm ivis kalarsep this is the sbi show